Hi, this is Todd Wiley representing Compass San Francisco, and you're listening to The Real Talk Podcast. And pleased to have my good friend Todd Wiley, the founder of Compass San Francisco on this episode of The Real Talk Podcast. Todd, upon graduating from San Francisco University, started his career at the ATT Wireless back on October of 1994, then worked his way through several tech companies and ultimately switched careers, getting his real estate license in 2004. 2004, I was still in high school and Danielle was uh, in elementary school. And for the, next, that out. <laughs> for the next 11 years, Todd ran a successful real estate business before ultimately being selected to represent our first Compass flagship office in the Bay Area. Todd is a specialist in trust and probate cases and focuses a portion of his business on the development of his professional relationships with attorneys, fiduciaries, accountants, and financial planners. Todd has been a consistent top producing agent for the last decade, performing in the top 1% of real estate agents in the San Francisco area. What I love about Todd, and this is not just our business, You're, he's just not a big real estate nerd. He's, of course, a real estate agent, but he's also a skilled outdoorsman, putting his mark in the surfing community in California, mountain biking, and obviously our favorite activity, fishing. Todd, I think you call this what your professional mowing the lawn or you mow the lawn fishing in the ocean, right? The trolling for, mm-hmm. for or trout. Salmon. Or salmon, that's right, or salmon. Yeah. So you're trolling along the coastlines of California on his boat. Todd has one of my favorite Instagram accounts in the real estate industry. He's authentic, positive, informative with his content. So please follow him on Instagram at the Wiley Team SF, which I'll put in the show notes. Again, yeah. it's at the Wiley Team SF. And his website was also put in the show notes at the end as well. So Todd, welcome. Thank you. All right, thanks for coming. Would I be able to make one correction? Sure. Okay, we were in the top 30 agents. I was not the founding agent, because if I said I was the founding agent in Compass San Francisco, there'd be a few people that would <laughs> probably be upset. <laughs> okay. So, but well, yeah, the, we were, were the, the founding, top 30 agents. Yeah, you're the founding group of agents. That's sure, correct. Yeah. Of San Francisco. Yeah, and you're we actually were. one of the first agents that I met when we did our first retreat back a couple yeah, of years ago. I think Compass opened summer. their doors in September and like late September, and we were in the door on like October 14th. That's right. Like that. Yeah, so, that's right. And yeah, uh, yeah I remember we. we that that retreat was really fun in, in many ways. It's my first time in San Francisco as an adult, and my first time ever visiting uh, Napa Valley. Yeah, we had a good time. Uh, we had a great time. Yeah. yeah. And the one thing I regret not doing is swimming in the bay with uh, Rob Lehman. That was a. Uh huh. Were you in yeah. that? No, one? no, 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 no. no. I think Butch was part of that as well. Okay. But yeah, yeah that's, that's not my. That's not my. It was bag. A pretty crazy. It was cold. It was yeah, like November, yeah. so it was it pretty was. cold. Any event. So we're gonna jump into a section. One of my favorite sections called. One word answers. Please answer the following list of words in your opinion, just with sure. one word. If you want to use two or three, you know, no one's going to hold that against you. So okay. the first word is rent control. Doesn't work. Silicon Valley. Work and employment. Bananas on a boat or banana boat? Neither or. <laughs> Tahoe or Mammoth? Tahoe. Real estate property insurance. Complicated. Soma. In transition. Tenderloin. Crime. Twitter and social media. Both good and bad. San Francisco real estate tax. It varies greatly. The recent lawsuit with NAR and real estate commissions. Very concerning. Affordable housing. Complicated. London breed. Failed. Private equity 
and funds in the multifamily housing market. Should be illegal. Multifamily housing. Tenants' rights. Meta, Salesforce, PayPal. Leaving. Condominiums. Opportunity. Real estate reality television. Damaging. Okay, great. So we're going to go over one or two of these. Love Thanks to talk that. about that that's, a little that's a more, one. you know. That's a good you know, one. That one was... Well, so damaging. So let's talk about that, right? Damaging. How is it damaging? <clears throat> Consistently uh, representing real estate in a light that's not accurate, um, making us look like we make more money than we do, glamorizing it and turning it into a show versus the reality of what we do on an in and out day to day basis. It's already complicated enough for people to understand what's going on in the real world in real estate. And when they see that, it makes them think that we're grossly overpaid and also um, quite detestable yeah. as a whole. Well right. said. Well said. Uh, yeah. We They think we make so much money. Yeah. And that really does kind of skew or jade. Maybe jade even makes the, yeah. the buyer. Well, they take the whole amount us. of the commission that's there and they don't consider the splits <laughs> between the brokerage and the agent and the fact that there's buyer's agent, seller's agent. So they'd say, hey, Tak Yamaguchi just made $349,000 when in actuality <laughs> yeah. he didn't make anything near that. That's right. You know? That's so, right. That's right. And, and the fact that it took on a, a year on a, on a, some of these deals takes a year to complete. $10 million <laughs> property. You know? yeah. It's like, no, he did not make that. Yeah. So. Okay. For the tenderloin crime, so what's mm. what's going on there? I see, and I'm, I'm a big fan of X Twitter, formerly, yeah. formerly known as Twitter, and there, there's a lot of talk. And it, it, being a tech-centric city, San Francisco, there's so much tech people talking on X, and they naturally talk about San Francisco, and they and it just hyperinflates what's going on in the tenderloin. So maybe yeah. tell me what, what's happening there. What is the crime there? Is it as really bad as it seems? On, it's, on just, it's, media? it's really what it's come down and like the Tenderloin has always been a place where there's been a lot of SRO type housing and people that mm -hmm. are um, maybe if they're trying to dig themselves out of a place, they have a place where they can find housing. And so you have a, a contingency of San Francisco that's down and out. So it'd be likened to that as Skid Row in Los Angeles. And when you do the things that we have done in San Francisco, creating failed policies with regards to enforcing the law, cracking down on drugs. Um, a lot of things that have happened, as everyone knows about nationally, like the fentanyl crisis and things like that, that the drug dealers had taken to those areas that are already dis disenfranchised and they were allowed to basically do business. So in turn, you had uh, people coming from, you know, outside the area to do business as drug dealers, as well as drug dealers within the area, but they weren't being, um, they weren't being cracked down on and there was nothing being managed with crime and it went on for a very long time. Mm -hmm. So then you would have deaths that were happening on the daily. And then you also had a lot of the, um, the people that could no longer take care of themselves all over the streets as well. So they, they really within that area and certain parts of like say like sixth and mission and just off of market street and like that, which is another area that's deep with, you know, and SROs and those mm -hmm. types of housing options, um, became a very, um, front and center on the map for, um, San Francisco's trouble with drugs. And I think mm -hmm. drugs and crime and basically, um, homelessness and, you know, I'm not running for mayor here. I'd like to make that clear, mm -hmm. but, these policies that had gone into place that both are in the state level uh, to some extent and locally have led to um, a degradation within the quality of life of San Franciscans, you know, as a whole. But it's it's really 
labeled San Francisco as a whole when it's really actually the vast majority of the problems that we see are, are you know, downtown, more in those areas where, the, where it's sixth and market and or in the tenderloin. What I find interesting is apparently the president of China was in your city mm -hmm. over the weekend and yeah. overnight the area cleared out completely. Isn't that and, something? And the doors got repainted, the facades uh, got repositioned, yeah. the trash was removed and the, all the homeless tents were, were just gone overnight. Right. Well, the I city can clearly, week. the city is clearly capable of doing this. Yeah. You know, well, you know what's what you, changed? What happened there? Again, is, um, and this is like a, just my perception, but I think it's fairly accurate. Right now we're going into election year in 2024. Um, London breeds necks on the line. There's a lot of changes that have been happening at the top. The, the rhetoric that's coming out of Gavin Newsom's mouth now with regards to people that have um, challenges mentally and what we need to do to help people that are in those situations get sure. off the street. All of the rhetoric has changed drastically as we near an election year. Um, San Francisco has had major employers and tech companies yeah. Yeah. Um, pull the plug and leave. Yeah. And a lot of it's post COVID people that had, um, you know, started working more abroad and everything else. There's reasons that some of this commercial space has become more available and they've had reasons that they can move. But there's, you know, you talk about like Benioff and Salesforce. He basically sat down with Gavin Newsom and London Breed and made a threat. Um, more that, you know, we're going to be pulling the plug and making these kinds of moves if you don't actually do something to improve the city that we live in. So they have the ability to do it and they've started to try to clean up because they're losing precious tax revenue, corporate tax revenue as companies, as you mentioned, Meta closes its door, PayPal closes door, like the whole east side of the Salesforce tower basically, have they're dropping the lease on that as well. So money talks and I think as money starts to walk out the door and these politicians start to look terrible that their failed policies had led to this, they start to try to make a rush to make changes and that's just my two cents on mm, that. Okay, good, yeah. great. Yeah, well, no, very well said. Now, switching on, we're still on politics a little bit here. Rent control is, is very rampant in New York City. And yeah. being San Francisco, New York City, being very liberal, pro-tenant yeah. towns uh, or, or cities, you know, what is your take on rent control? You said it doesn't work earlier. Yeah. What, what is the problem there? And is there are there solutions right now that are being implemented to make this more of a uh, just so, an equal... Yeah, rent control is a market, right? I mean, basically, um, or I should say housing basically can be considered a market. If yeah. it's really tight, the value of, the, of a flat goes up. If it becomes looser, the value of a flat comes down. Unfortunately, when you have rent control, and I'm preaching to the choir here because I know you understand this, you're trying to control a market that's dynamic. And then when you, do, when you control a market that's that dynamic, you put people that are actually available to provide housing in a pickle where they can't control um, what they make going in or out, or maybe a, a, good ex a good example of rent control failing would be like when you meet people in the small business association, which I was a part of for a bit, um, where you have people who are small business or small building owners, and they um, live in one unit, rent out three. Years go on, you've got three protected tenants and the owner of the property. The cost of materials, maintenance, everything associated with that building, even their own medications, let's say, if they've yeah. gotten to be senior citizens yeah. have gone up and their medical expenses have gone up, but their rents are just absolutely atrociously low. Sometimes these landlords get sued by their tenants for being slumlords, you know, and that is if you can't manage 
and make differentiating factors to take into account the full dynamic of that market and manage it effectively as a government, then you shouldn't have your fingers in it yeah. at all. Yeah. Because it gets really complicated and you're trying to generalize and simplify something that you can't generalize or simplify. And that's one of the reasons it also, it, uh, there's a lot more to be said. Sure. We could talk well, about This is a whole other episode uh, yeah, of another hour is, plus. But then when the math long, is not long, mathing, something yeah. has to be done, right? Yeah, I totally it's a long agree and with complicated you. process. So we want to jump into a section called short form answers. Let's let the listeners get to know who you are and sure. you being the representative of San Francisco, uh, First, yes. One of the representatives. One of the representatives. Yeah, I, 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 I love your equity and yeah. your uh, the community. Very uh, Californian. You know, New York, they'll be like, I'm the first. <laughs> but, Wouldn't exist without me. Yeah. <laughs> Not true. Where, where are you from originally? Yeah. Where, where do you currently reside? And what brought you into becoming you know, a real An estate agent? agent. Yep. Yeah. Well, you read my profile. Right, yes. <laughs> I you know, went to San Francisco State University, and um, so did my wife, who's also my business partner. Her name's Kim, by the way. Hi, Kim. And uh, she's in the room, but she, the camera's not <laughs> on her right now. So we started in working um, real jobs, let's say, right when we got out of college, and I was working in tech startups, big companies first, and then tech startups at the end. Um, and we had kids, and things in life change. And she was working actually as a stockbroker and I was working for, you know, like I said, was tech startups. And then it became, I got into real estate. As life got more complicated with children and things went on, my wife joined me in 2013. So she's been at it now for 10 years and I've been at it for 20, um, roughly. But Welcome to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we're all in as far as uh, real estate is concerned, but it was definitely a journey. And the funny thing is, is that I wish I would have been like some of the people that I know in San Francisco that got into real estate, you know, right out of college because they're yeah. doing so phenomenally well. Yeah. And it's a classic example of listen to your mother because my mom told me that I should get into real estate right out of college. And uh, I said I, I was going to go work in Silicon Valley. And had I listened to her, I think I would have been, um, I would have had a much more positive experience in the beginning of my working career because those first 10 years in Silicon Valley were very hard and I didn't really get anything out of it except for, I'd say, um, you know, work ethic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, sometimes that's yeah. more important. And that though. was important too. Yeah, that's, that's more important. important. Yeah. The, the Silicon Valley scene back then must have been uh, slightly different though in terms of what it is today, in terms of the money, the value, the investments, the you know, it was the, You know, back then, and as you know, it was the advent of the, of really you started seeing the internet coming to being in mm -hmm. the late 1980s, early 1990s. By the time I graduated in college in 1993, yes, everyone had like a dial-up modem, if you remember those sure. types of things. Sure. And, the AOL um, CD was like 10,000 hours of yeah. internet. But by the <laughs> yeah. time I got out of by the time I got out of tech, I mean it was going voice over IP, and that's kind of the last startup that I had worked for, which is a company called Empirix, um, which is a subsidiary of Hammer Technologies out of Boston. Uh -huh. And that was uh, exciting because we were selling, you know, call center and voice over IP solutions to data centers, uh -huh. and it was. It was great, but then um, the telecom industry imploded, and um, you probably remember Nortel was one of our one of our biggest clients anyway, uh -huh. um, and that just like changed everything for me. I was yeah. like, I was like, wow, you can work this hard and be onto something so great, and then all of a sudden, whoosh, gone. So now being my own boss and entrepreneur has been so much better. Are you, were you born and raised in San Francisco? Oh, I didn't answer that question. That's I'm right, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So no, actually, um, we're born in. I was born in Texas. 
um, Wichita Falls, Texas. And then my father came out and he was a military guy and he went to uh, Travis Air Force Base. So I was uh, raised in Vacaville, California. And then I went to college in San Francisco and that's okay. how I ended up there. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And you still have family in Texas then? All my family's in Texas. Gotcha. Well, that that's surviving. Wichita yeah. Falls. I've never heard of that. Is that in your Wich dollar? Wichita Falls. Wichita Falls. You know, it's... um. I'd have to really point it out on a map, but I, <laughs> middle, it's middle, kind middle of way. like, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of in Southeast Texas, I guess you could say. Southeast. So right. it's like if Dallas, it's like, it's, yeah, like, the Gulf. it's like out that, it's like over here. It's like Houston's over here. It's anyway, whatever. Yeah. Okay. All right, cool. I wouldn't remember it. I was just born there. Yeah, you know, sure. It's been sure. a couple of years there. Uh, yeah. What's your favorite city or state outside of San Francisco? You know, we're here in beautiful yes. San Diego. You you know, great San Diego's day pretty awesome, but... Um, uh, it won't surprise you just because of my background. I, I enjoy surfing. I yeah. really like Hawaii. Oh, yeah. And, North Shore? Uh, Is that where you go? Yeah. I think I'm partial to small How do you like, get through towns. the... I heard the gangs of North Shore. They don't like outsiders. How do you get through that? I don't belong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not part of that at all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think if I could live anywhere, I would live somewhere near Haleiwa. Okay. Just because is that in the main island, the Honolulu? It's in Oahu. The, Oahu. Yeah. Okay. I mean, oh, yeah. I love Kauai, mm -hmm. and I, I think um, Kim and I almost we almost bought a duplex. I think right about the time our son was one, that was in Kapaa. Ooh, shoulda. I have a bunch of woulda, coulda, shoulda, 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 woulda, coulda. I know. What's the more of the story? Always buy. <laughs> I should have always bought. Believe me. But at any rate, um, yeah. So that's just sort of my my history back from Backville, San Francisco. But um, yeah. I think you asked me the other day. Yeah, we asked you, the, yeah, yeah, yesterday. Yeah, I think, yeah, yeah, you asked me some questions about um, income properties. That's so. right. So in your world, in San Francisco, who's the goat of real estate? And the goat is greatest of all time. We're talking, you know, the Kobe's, oh, I mean, I got, I, the, the Michael Jordans. But for you, in your world of San Francisco, who's the goat? It doesn't have to be a, a real estate agent. You know, it could be anyone. Then. Right. It could be your wife. So there's a person that I had a great amount of respect for, and she, there's a lot of things that, that unfortunately she passed away recently mm -hmm. and she was very young. Her name was Tanya Zipralova. Um, she left a lasting imprint on everyone she touched and all the business that she did. Mm -hmm. She did more business as an individual agent than anyone I ever met. And I was always blown away of like, I don't know how you can like personally do 86 transactions in a year within our market. She Nobody was an that. absolute animal wow um at the same time she was a very kind person and she was a very supportive person but she worked uh oh, way too much uh. she should have delegated but i would say the greatest of all time within our profession for what she did and how she treated people and how she did business and how much her clients loved her and all that i'm going to give it to tanya on okay. that and she passed away just like a month ago oh wow which is really, was really a unfortunate we have to give her a surprise. shout out yep okay shout out to yep. tanya yeah your in san francisco as one of the representatives of san francisco uh, your favorite uh, establishment restaurant in san francisco that uh, out-of-towners must go to we, we have to visit this is you know everyone's going to sort of know this but it's um it's a place called burma superstar okay and it's i'd say it's on sixth and clement Okay. So yeah, it's adjacent to the Lake Street corridor. Put and, that in the um, show notes. Burma yeah. Superstar. What Burma kind of place superstar? Is this? Burmese food. Oh, yeah. Good. Interesting. Really, really good. Um, and you cannot get reservations there. So you, when you go there, you have to be prepared to you know grab a, grab some time and go to the, down the 
the bitter end down the street and grab a drink and wait because you're okay. probably gonna wait 30 or 45 minutes. Yeah, to get that's the fine. Door. That's yeah, fine. Yeah, we're, we're, we're in New York. We do that too, right? Yeah. Your, do you have an all time? What's the all time spot to go to in San Francisco? Oh, you're gonna go back to classics. Like we're gonna, we like it. Classics. Like, you know, great. Kokari. Okay. Yeah, most people know that name. That yeah, it sounds familiar. Food. Yeah. It and that's familiar. And that's down near the financial district. And okay. It's a, it's a, really, really phenomenal. Okay. And And if you could live at any block in San Francisco, outside of where you currently live, you know, or any block or building or cross street, where would it be? Probably in Seacliff and on El Camino del Mar. Okay. Well, what is that? Um, Seacliff is kind of, um, sort of like central Richmond, but it's its own little, um, development, uh, popped up in the early, you know, 1900s. Beautiful, big homes, mansions, views of the Golden Gate Bridge. Oh. It's sort of adjacent to Land's End and almost equidistant to the Presidio. It's, um, you know, I'm not a real big, like, smack dab in the city kind of person. I think you kind of picked up on sure. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is definitely set back from the city, easily to access everything, but like the best views and still you're looking at the ocean, the entrance of the bay. So it's more on the northern side. It is on the, the north bridge. side of town, but towards it's like, yeah, but it's, um, so if the Golden Gate Park runs from say like, um, 14th Avenue to, to the beach on one side mm-hmm. to the south, you have the Sunset District on the other side, you have the Richmond District okay. and the Richmond District can run all the way down to, um, till you get to basically to the, the bridge. Pers- well, yeah, all the way to downtown. If you take like California street or mm-hmm. Geary, well, almost Geary, but anyway. That particular neighborhood in particular, it's set back just enough and it's just big, beautiful houses. And it's just, it's about the views and the accessibility to the out, outer and place where you have um, land and places where you can walk. So Land's End's great for hiking. Um, the Presidio is also great for hiking and riding your bike and all that stuff, which is Riding nice. your bike yeah. up and down. Yeah. San Francisco is probably one of the toughest cities to own a bike it's, in. Yeah. yeah <laughs> you gotta have a, you gotta have an e-bike. You know, most of the people who ride their bikes actually, um, ride from the Richmond district because it's a little bit more, it's a little bit less of a hilly Hilly, experience to get downtown. Okay, instead of like actually biking in the the city of San Francisco. One of my favorite uh, skateboarding crews that I like to watch online is, uh, was that that old Sony camera? They're named after like the VX3000 or something. It's a Sony camera, it's a skateboard crew, but they just cruise down the the, the steepest. Oh, the the steepest hills. (laughs) I've seen that, that's insane. I feel like those guys, it's like that. Like they have, they have spotters. Yeah, they, you know? of course you have yeah. to, otherwise it's death. But it's they're going, you know, they're probably hitting 30, 40 on I the would skateboard. say at least, yeah. <laughs> not, yeah, that's insane. On pavement, they're, not they're, they're crazy. They it's don't, crazy. They, they truly don't care. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this my vision yeah. of San Francisco when I when I look online is that. Yeah. Uh, Any event. So you know, as the one of the founders of yes, San Francisco, not the founder, but not one me. of the no. group of founders. Tell me why you decided to, to switch to an unknown, relatively unknown company at the time. It does yeah. take a little bit of, of uh, just a cojones to do something where it's, you know, you, I'm sure you were successful on your own at your pre- previous brokerage. Why make the change? Um, so at the time I was, um, it's a classic example of when you put the wrong person in management, no names mentioned. Um, I was working for a company called Zephyr Real Estate, which was the largest private company um, that had offices all over the city and 450 agents or so. And in my office, my manager, who was like my mentor, retired. And then they Uh, they put someone else in that, you know, I wasn't necessarily seeing eye to eye with and wasn't getting along with. 
But there were changes that were happening in technology in particular. And I had come also from a background working in the tech space. And I was like, everything's changing. You know, uh, Zillow was making much more of a, of a footprint. You had Redfin coming in. And the things that were happening were uh, of some concern that I was like, I better jump and go to something that's more cutting edge. And we had actually started and we'd signed on. We would have been agent number two at Side. And we had been sitting down with the CEO there. His name is Guy Gal. And we were there for a bit, signed on. But then we were at an office meeting and our, our manager at the time goes, I said, I think you guys have probably heard that Compass is coming into town. And we were like, I hadn't really known that. And I didn't think about that. Yeah. And, um, and uh, one of my colleagues had actually joined. And I got, I swear, on the same day, um, I got a, a notification, I've joined Compass. Oh. And this person had been trying to recruit me to Sotheby's. So I was like, and I was like, and I'd been talking to Sotheby's as well, you know? Yeah. So, and I was like, I was gonna do something. There was no question in my mind as I'd already started kind of talking to Guy Gal inside and everything. And I didn't really, wasn't quite sure that I wanted to run my own like mini brokerage, which is sort of sides deal. Sure. I think they're in the New York market. They are, too. yeah. Yeah. So um, I, uh, Got the invite to talk to Robert. He was going to be in town that week. Okay. And I started talking to Robert. And Robert's obviously is a very, very uh, compelling and friendly and energetic and all-in kind of guy. One of the greatest salesmen uh, ever. <laughs> so, yeah. They say ice to Eskimos, right? That's right. So um, I had one, two, um, three um, meetings. I met Gene Martinez, who was going to be the new uh, rest in peace. Rest in peace. Mm -hmm. Um, managers in San Francisco. Gene is also probably the most um, friendly, had the most warm smile of anyone you ever met. They perfect made teeth. <laughs> perfect perfect teeth, skin. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the guy, the guy is like the most, all. the most interesting man in the world. Yeah. Um, and that was it. I just decided that that was what I was going to do. I got the vision. What really sold me was that we want to create technology that's going to make you more relevant and provide a better service to your clients. We're not trying to replace you. Yeah. And the you know the the feeling that was in the marketplace was technology was our enemy in some ways. And he was saying technology is going to be your friend. Yeah. And that we're just going to make you more relevant. Which and that's what I, I really like. So what, about five years. So that was about five years ago. Seven. Six, years seven years ago. ago. So in seven years yeah. ago, he said that. You know how yeah. much of that rings true or even more true today for you. Uh, I think that it's hundred percent. I mean, yeah, you know, the first on, thing, right? the first thing that kind of came up that we were like immediately seeing value in was obviously collections. Sure. And, um, even though we had like some bugs and stuff, we were, everything was just getting fixed right away. So to watch the platform go from where it was and to morph into what it is now is directly in line with, um, with the vision. And I don't think there's been anything that's really, that's really, um, held back at all from um, what the vision that was sold and the direction that we're going. It, it takes a long time. And, it does. Um, and I, but I've been, you know, very, very much so enjoying the journey. Yeah, good. Yeah. Yep. And it's still not perfect today, but you're with your tech background, yeah. you understand good tech is not consistently being made. It's being developed and redeveloped. So collections, so great. Yeah. Is it perfect? Maybe not. Is, is, is RCRM perfect? Maybe not. No. But it certainly does But help. I use RCRM, you know, a lot. Yeah. And I use good. it and I, and I get so much value out of it. And I really feel like it's on the direction to being um, so much more than what it currently is as well. So yeah, yeah sure. I have okay. confidence that we'll get there. When agents, whether they're new, they're 
in their first phase of their career, maybe in their latter phase of their career. Just every agent goes through phases of struggle, uh, professionally and you know business-wise. So, what are some of your you know largest obstacles that you've had to overcome in the last you know recent memory of yours, and how did you overcome them? So. The most significant was prior was um, when I was still at Zephyr, mm-hmm. and you know I'd only been in the business for four years, and I, I was you know making top producer for the two years in a row, and I was like I'm on top of the world. It's 2006, <laughs> 2007, 2008, and it's like yeah, pull the carpet another out from rug. Underneath we got you. another rug pulled under you. Yeah, yeah, so that was a pretty that was pretty significant. So whatever's happening now, believe me, it's nothing like what nothing. it was happening then. Nothing like it. Yeah. Um, what was it like? So, um, making, not having any option for making any money for a while and watching things turn into short sales. And there weren't a ton of REOs or bank owned properties in our market, yeah. but the short sales and having to deal with people and help them sell short um, and morphing and changing the business. And, like, as I say, if you want to survive, you're always going to be looking at your business and you're always going to be willing to make um, changes so that you can create a business that will last. And back then, that was when um, I really just had decided that I was going to start focusing my business less on doing, um, you know, just going and working open houses and working by talking and going to networking events and that stuff, but trying to do more business to business and getting to know um, people that are doing it family law or, um, or doing um, uh, estate planning. So working with attorneys and that's where the attorneys, fiduciaries and, you know, um, financial planners and things mm-hmm. like that. And that type of movement at the time is also something that takes years of developing it. Sure. But as you put your head down and you make those contacts and people start to enjoy doing business with you, your business grows more organically. And I think that that's helped my business grow exponentially. Sure. Um, Especially um, this last year, it's been pretty hard for a lot of people, but I've been pretty stable. Okay. So so you have relationships with estate lawyers or financial planners or money managers of individuals and CPAs. And how did you get into that type of uh, market and when building relationships with these types of people? Really? First, there was a guy that had um, had perked my interest that was at my, um, he's no longer in the business. He wasn't doing it, I would say, right. Mm-hmm. But he had come from the um, accounting for fiduciaries and um, he showed, he was like talking the talk, but he wasn't really um, a salesperson per se or someone who was um, willing to put themselves out there like a, like most salespeople are. Maybe you have a little bit thicker skin. So I started to just um, create some marketing materials and I started to go directly after trying to reach and talk to estate planning attorneys initially. Yeah. And, and then I, and I met a few and have some coffee with them and talk with them and stay in touch with them. And then as they started saying, well, you really need to start, you need to really start to get to know some fiduciaries. And then um, as sort of same, the same route, is that and finding that that was sort of like set the path sure, for sure. the stability that I've seen in the last decade. I see. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's, so it's a great it's, angle. For, it is. For, it's a, for, for any real estate broker. To... And there's like, like there's other things. I Like we're talking about the next big move. My wife's not, she's, again, it's in, the, in the shadows over here. She's not in the shadows. Though. She's very important. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's other big moves that we're planning on making. Um, and uh, I'm not going to talk about those in okay. particular, but that right. we're, we're always looking at how we're going to create a business that is going to be um, create stability in any market. 
no matter what. You may not be doing as much business, but you're always going to be doing something. You know? mm -hmm. Yep. And, and how much value can you add really is That's the, it. ultimately the most important. That's right. right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking maybe you know, your surfer buddy who just happened to be a estate lawyer or nope. <laughs> someone on your fishing boat. Not at all. <laughs> not, not, one, not, not at all. Not at all. Okay. So They yeah. do like fish though. Uh, yeah, so. yeah, I'm actually really jealous <laughs> of your, a, uh, the vacuum pack stories <laughs> that he always put up of all the fish yes. that he catches uh, yes. is uh, yes. pretty cool. Uh, we talked about commissions earlier. You know, what's what are your thoughts right now on this recent movement? It's it just came out of nowhere that real estate broker commissions are a a, a fixed fee that is meant to trick buyers and sellers. And the recent uh, the the commission the, lawsuit with NAR. I mean, there's a lot of these lawsuits just popping out of any. Out yeah, of nowhere, like a, to me, it seems like. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? What's going on? Is it because of reality TV? <laughs> I mean, what's what didn't help? It? Didn't help, right? It didn't but help. What, what do you think is the cause of this? Yeah. And what are your thoughts on all the, the litigation and lawsuits that are going on? As I said in the one word answer, I said, you know, concerning. Yeah. People not really understanding the value that that our our market and what we've created in the United States now is over a hundred years old of having buyer side commissions and seller side commissions being provided by the seller. In fact, putting it out there and then creating an equal um, and, a, and a more equitable playing field for both sides. There are people that focus on and do a phenomenal job as buyer's agents and the value that they provide to their clients. It doesn't matter if it is a really tight market where it's multiple offers and where you're having to waive you know, in some instances, maybe you're having to waive a lot of your conditions in order to get in there. Well, not anyone can still get you in there. Anyone who's really, really good at what they do is able to get you in there under different terms because of the relationships that they've also forged over the years or the successes that they've had working with other agents, if that's on the listing side. So to before I derail myself too much, there's so much value to the buyer's agent and not everyone has not only the skill set to be a really good buyer's agent, but has the skill set to be um, that that patience that is required for a lot of the um, buyer side transactions. Or even if you're working for uh, a developer in order to try to help them find the next big opportunity and how it is that you go out there and you're scouting and finding that opportunity and being able to get paid for that service is certainly important to have it go away is um if it does if it gets changed or if it gets discounted significantly anyway is concerning to me because i feel as though it will do a tremendous disservice to the entire industry and specifically to the general public mm -hmm. yeah no yeah. that's totally understandable yeah the notion that the the buyer's commissions should not be paid by the seller is an interesting one do you think that there is this lawsuit will potentially change the way buyer's agents get paid or? I have, um, and we may have talked about this just a little bit yesterday. I know I was talking maybe with Danielle about it, but there are buyer's agents or there's agents in other markets, um, specifically international markets like in Australia or Great Britain, where one agent is one side of the transactions. Um, and essentially, from what I've gathered from talking with these folks that I know, and specifically, I had a long talk with one of them from Australia, um, and he was a Sotheby's agent of all things, too, mm -hmm. in Australia. And he had great envy for the way that things work in the United States. And it wasn't monetarily. It was because of the amount of work that he does and for in Australia. And he feels as though that no matter what, you're caught in between. You're caught in the middle. 
and he is, doesn't feel like you should ever feel caught in the middle or that there should be a conflict of interest. And the way that our, we're set up in the United States is that it's created so that they were not caught in the middle and that there aren't a conflict of interest between um, the buyer because the buyer doesn't want to pay as much and the seller wants you to pay the most. Yep. So um, I think it's a really, really healthy uh, way to look at the way we do business in the United States. This, the buyers, in, as housing has become more expensive, the buyers can't pick up the fees. Um, and there's not a whole lot of agents that, that could say that they're going to expect the buyer when, the, when everything's said and done is going to pick up and pay a fee to have a buyer's agent involved. Yeah. So the whole thing becomes very confusing, I think, to the general populace because they don't, especially those who've never bought or sold real estate, may not really understand why and how things are set up the way that they are. Yeah. And then you have these shows, as you were talking about, that that make things look far, far more. Maybe uh, drives envy, maybe drives greed, maybe drives just yeah, yeah, and, and per, personal resentment to yeah, agents. Exactly, and, and people, and I, I heard this, I'm not positive this is true, but if it's going around that the jury that made the decision on the Setzer case, um, I think it's Setzer, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway, the Setzer case were um, predominantly all, um, were not homeowners, they were renters. Um, and that in itself seems like a mistrial. It drives you know, if that's if that's a case that that should not questionable be questionable jury. That's a right. Questionable jury yeah. that was in place, um, who maybe never had a had a home buying experience at all. So if that's in fact true, then I would say that 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 and that's now creating a um, the next case, which I guess now the district attorney in the United States is sell and suing the National Association of Realtors. It's created a a wind. Uh, a strong wind on a fire that's blowing out of control and that has me concerned and I should have everyone concerned but the industry as we know it is inevitably it's always in change but it might change a lot yeah my question is in my thought and I would like to get your thoughts on this is discount agencies have always existed so it's nothing novel that if a seller wants to pay less than five or six or four whatever percentage that yeah. they want to pay they can always go to that route do it's discount agencies are not a secret i think redfin has a very right. reduced i don't know what the structure is but it's very reduced yeah so you know why do you think this is coming up now it just seems like do people just not know how the business works or? no i mean people we all felt threatened by um the redfin of the world when it first came out sure. no one liked the fact that they were offering the this incredibly discounted service and of course at the time before they went public as well they were heavily funded and they had lots of money to throw at it as well so they could take losses while they were trying to move forward and disrupt yeah and as they became public and had to start generating revenue then lo and behold their their whole Business model changed some too, didn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, because they had to make they some had to money. make money now, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's 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 funny that that's always been there. My old broker, who I'd mentioned before, that was the my mentor for a long time, always said to me, and this is like going back to the early two thousands. He's like, oh, you know, we have a hot market. Oh, the discounters come out in the hot market, but as soon as things get tough, they're gonna go away. The difference now is there's just so much funding from outside entities into real estate from venture capital sure. and large amounts of money going in there that they have this ability to disrupt and change things for, in some instances, could be the worst. But if you look at 
in most instances, you, you can see some as the being the better, like Compass maybe well, is going to be VC the better. Money. Yeah, that's right. We have VC money. We have too, VC so. money, so you can see us being funded, and I look at us as uh, something that's changing, but for the better. But then there's things like you know Open Door and what they do with their what they do with their inventory after they purchase it and they package it and then they sell it to Wall Street and you have BlackRock and you have these things these private like you said and you said private it, equity this, this, it's hurtful they're, ta they're taking inventory off the market entirely and they're turning it and they're forcing the they're basically forcing people into a renter um, lifestyle yeah. is what it is yeah and that is more concerning to me than than the discount broker. Sure. Yeah. No, you know, we already proved that. that with the with Redfin, they could have a discount broker, and that when it really came down to it, people were just using their app, and they were still going out and finding a qualified agent to That's help right. them in the long run. And some of them that actually stayed with Redfin, you know, yeah, eventually they might. Um, we always used to laugh about it because if we had a really tight market and there was a lot of overbidding, we would get these Redfin agents who had to have their quotas and do their business. We always said. Boy, their buyer didn't get their Redfin discount on that one, did they? Because they're the amount that they overpaid. Ah, so that was yeah. um, that was kind of a regular, at least in our market. I don't know yeah. how things worked in yours, but but yeah, no. I mean, we, you know, we, we don't know exactly how Redfin works, but you know, going back to, in my opinion, the lawsuit is it's consumers. As a, if you're a seller, you have the right to choose who, you, how much you want to pay. Right. So where is this lawsuit well, really there, even you, relevant? You, you know where it's coming from. It's just because it is. It is that. We have to offer something to the buyer side agent. So they're hanging their hat on that. Yeah. So they're saying National Association, in order to put something in a local MLS, you have to offer something to a buyer's right. agent. Right. And they're saying they're saying, well, why is that in there? And they're saying, oh, so you you have essentially fixed um, the colluded to fix, fix the fees. Fix the fees. Yeah. yeah. And I think there's a, a misunderstanding of that, or at least it's, it seems to be getting twisted. But I'm not an attorney. So at least in our in our world. The sellers can pay anything they want, and we just put it in there as what what it is. You know, it's fifty percent yeah. co, 50, 50, 50 co broke. So if you want to play four percent, I probably will not take the listing, but I'm sure there will be somebody else that there's someone who pay. will. They're gonna yeah they'll, yeah, they'll they'll do that. And then the buyer's agent may not be incentivized to show it. They'll probably still show it if the buyer really wants it. But you know, well, see, the buyers have, have access to the data in most instances. Yeah. So unless it's off market, the buyers um you're. you're are going to go out there and they're going to look at it they're and gonna say, it. I want to see XYZ <laughs> yeah. Main Street. Yeah, yeah they're going to see like, it. And you're like, you're like, well, they're only offering a 2% commission or if it's even worse, God forbid. But if that's the case, you're going to show it to them it because you're, if you don't, you're going to lose your buyer. That's right. That's you right. Know? Yeah. So it's, it's going to come out. It's going to come out anywhere. Yeah. Uh, we're, I know we're busy here and I'm not going to take up too much of your time, but no you and your wife, you guys are business partners. And, you know, we see this often in real estate. I always applaud those couples the power real estate agent couples how do you balance the work and life and you have two kids how do you balance that and uh, your family yeah so we got into it because of the family yeah so we had had one child and we were managing that one pretty well five years <laughs> later we had another child and then that things got a little chaotic like i mentioned she was working um for deutsche bank at the time alex brown and so she was working on a team of brokers there she worked really early in the morning until four or five in the afternoon. I would work, you know, from eight, nine in the morning until eight, nine at night. Yeah. And we were just having this chaos. Yeah. So we got involved with one another. How did we manage it? We didn't for a long time. And things were really chaotic <laughs> even when we started. And, you know, it was nice when she worked for Deutsche Bank. She had 
salary and bonus structure, health insurance, health insurance all the good name stuff, it. you know? You name it. You get she it. jumps ship. She's <laughs> with us. We're all into it. Like some people don't understand this too about the real estate business, but yeah, we pay for everything. Yeah. So that changes and it gets chaotic. But as things have gotten busier, we've hired, um, there's another member of our team, Peter Lee, who's on our team. Yes. So he's doing, um, doing sales with us as well. And we have, um, we've hired a marketing person now as well, just okay. getting off the ground with that. So as things go, we've decided that as things got chaotic and maybe we're not, um, things aren't functioning quite as well as we wanted to or as smoothly, we've grown. Got so, it. you know, and that's what we're good, doing. Good. So yeah. the moral of the story is personal Delegate. life, family life, just hire people on your team to make sure that you have both. And it's you have a key a thing. And I mentioned before, you know, dele being able to delegate. Delegate. Is yeah, is a big thing, give and it's something that to someone else. We're right? learning, we're learning as as we go. But we've we've been growing the last couple of years, and okay. and we're still not afraid to do that now, despite the market being down. We're still going to grow. Good, great, yeah. Give us uh, one or two tips for your sellers and buyers as they as they prep into going into the market in twenty twenty four. Setting expectations. Sure. Um, that's one thing that we we do, and we spend a lot of time. Sometimes I get. Um, accused of being um, pessimistic um, on value, but if the values have been retracting, you have to set the right expectations and show. Thankfully, we have a data data analyst in San Francisco that provides us phenomenal data on what's happening in our local market. Utilizing those things, utilizing the tools available to show how things are trending as they are trending down. What do you need to do in order to stand out and make yourself? Um, sellable in a market like that and what is the pricing strategy in order to do it don't ever overprice a property unless you're planning on just like rotting with it um, and um, and buyers as well you know if anyone can buy in this market as things have gotten harder and more difficult in doing it um, having people try to really look at things that maybe are overpriced and trying to find ways to as they've sat to, to negotiate with the properties that were priced mm -hmm. um, incorrectly to begin with and um i don't know it's all about setting expectations if you're going into a war you better have a plan is it a good know? time to buy right now um i would say definitely a good time to buy right now i'm not sure next year is going to be like a whole lot better yet there's some indications that i would believe it's going to be better than this year but i would say that you know as anyone who bought in 2009 knows that 2010 was worse and then by the end of 2011 things were starting to look up and between 2011 2012 things were much better and yeah. they were back in the black from where we were in 2008 sure so, so we were kind of in the low cycle right now and, and things were yeah i really speaking, believe we, i really believe close. we are it's like right now we're we're in a you know we may not be at the bottom but we're getting probably pretty close yeah. and if you can buy it now's a good time to buy and it's it. impossible to time the market impossible and if we could do it we would be doing it ourselves that's right <laughs> okay well Todd, about all day long thank you so much as again you know one of the founding teams of san francisco if you have any questions about the real estate market there whether you're a consumer of real estate buyer seller yep. or you know one of our industry professionals that here at compass you know please reach out to him again his instagram yep. at the wiley team sf we'll put in the show notes put in his contact information and todd thank you so much and i look forward to Thanks, another, another week with you yeah it's gonna be fun all right all right thanks, thanks so talk much.